I enjoy a good round of golf. My grandfather was a great golfer, but it never caught on with me when I was a child. So I picked up the sport a few years ago. I threw my clubs in the bus and I play as often as I can when I'm out on tour. One thing I've come to appreciate is a great fitting, great looking polo shirt at the right price. After trying a few different brands, I came across Cricut, that's spelled C-R-I-Q-U-E-T. I immediately fell in love with their timeless designs. All Cricut shirts are made from super soft, top of the line fabrics. My personal favorite is the Top Shelf Player Shirt. It's got a four button placket hard collar with removable collar stays. It reminds me of the shirts my grandfather used to wear. I feel as good wearing a Cricut shirt on stage or a night out with my family as I do on the golf course. Go to cricketshirts.com. That's spelled C-R-I-Q-U-E-T shirts.com. Put in the discount code ROADTONOW for 20% off your first order. You're going to dig these shirts. I'm Ben Sawyer, and this is the Road to Now. Today, guys, it's after Thanksgiving, and Christmas time is upon us. I know it's kind of been on us for like two months now, but it's actually here now. And so it is with the spirit of the Christmas tradition that we are re-airing this episode, which is one of my all-time favorites. It's the history of Santa Claus and Christmas culture with James Cooper. James is an expert on this topic, and man, I don't, I don't think there's a better history of Christmas episode out there if you're just interested in the festivities around it, the, the origins of Santa Claus and, and, and all of these things and why Christmas trees are there. It really just is really fun from the very beginning and, uh, and and really informative. So I hope you guys enjoy this and I hope you guys appreciate this as like a, uh, you know, peanut style seasonal re-airing uh, of the show. Uh, Bob and I will be back next week with a new episode. We've got a couple more lined up and Jeff Cowie has a new book out. He's been on the podcast several times. The book is Freedom's Dominion. We're recording with him in a couple of days. This book is one of the best books that I've... <laughs> probably ever read on history it's just mind-blowing so if you want to go ahead and do yourself a favor and maybe get an early christmas present for you or someone you know jefferson cowie freedom's dominion a saga of white resistance to federal power it just came out last week you can get it in paper you can get it audiobook it's already up go check it out and look if right now you're all like listen to him getting worked up about this episode that's not until a week from now if you read this book you'll understand why and if you listen to the episode, you'll also hear me be this excited about it again in a week. So there you go. Guys, thanks for supporting us. Special shout out to our patrons. You guys keep us going. And we will be back with a new episode next week. In the meantime, hey guys, happy holidays. Enjoy this conversation on the history of Santa Claus and Christmas with James Cooper. Take care. James Cooper, welcome to The Road to Now. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you on because you are an expert on the history of Christmas, the history of Santa Claus, and all things cultural. And you are joining us from the other side, not the other side of the planet, but uh, pretty far away. Where are you at, James? Um, I live in southwest England in a little seaside town called Minehead. That's and Santa Claus makes it there, huh? He does, yes. Yep. It's everywhere. It's amazing. Ben, he makes it everywhere. I don't know what's... <laughs> what your problem is? Yeah, well, I just I, you know a little picking on on the English guy. You know, I gotta I gotta do a little bit of that, or I'm not or I'm not a real <laughs> well, American. We're, we're cousins, right? We we are Anglo brothers and sisters, right? We're cousins, Americans and and English. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we share the same Santa Claus, which is beautiful. Now we wanted to start off because here we have uh, this phenomenon. 
And it, it's one of the things that uh, all over the world, people are united, uh, whatever their cultures, whatever their, their nationality, they have some, some origins of a Christmas myth that is separate from the actual religious aspect of the holiday. Could you start off by telling us the, the origins of the notion of Santa Claus? Okay. Well, um, Santa Claus started back as St. Nicholas, um, and he was a bishop in 4th century um, Asia Minor, which we now call Turkey. Um, he was an orphan orphaned at an early age, um, but came from a rich family, so he inherited lots of money um, as a child and uh, grew up a Christian and was known um, as he grew into uh, as a man to be very generous, um, very kind, uh, lots of gift giving to people that didn't have lots of money. Daughter, the father thought, hmm, something's up here. So he kept, the, the legend goes that he stayed up every night for a year to see who was doing this. And then he caught St. Nicholas doing it. And of course, this was a great thing. And everybody found out about how wonderful St. Nicholas was. Wow. And that makes me mad that, that, that when I was a kid, I was asking for toys when I could have been asking for a stocking full of gold. Yeah. <laughs> So then, so then, how did the how did the the myth, the folklore, carry on and expand? Well, yeah, I mean, um, as he got older, um, there were more stories about him that came to pass. I mean, um, the Council of Nicaea, which was the famous religious convention where the sort of the books of the Bible were basically decided, he was a person at the Council of Nicaea. He's recorded at the Council of Nicaea, and the most famous thing about him being there is that he actually punched a heretic. What? <laughs> yeah L- like a gnostic or or a- um yeah it was um um one of the followers of um arius who didn't den- yes den- denied wow. the uh, divinity of christ apparently they got into a rather heated um thing and he was meant to have got up and punched him in the face and um he was supposedly um chucked out of his bishophood for a couple of years until there was such a clamor because everybody loved him so much that they had to reinstate him um so yes santa has attitude yes um um, and then other stories uh, during the Middle Ages got told of him rescuing sailors at sea, which is why he's the uh, patron saint of sailors, prostitutes and children, which is really quite a unique combination. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, and then another story came to pass that um, he saved boys that had been um, killed and butchered by uh, a, a landlord of a pub uh, and were sitting in a, a pickling barrel of brine um, to sell to his customers as meat um and saint nicholas is meant to have rescued these boys and um put them back together and brought them back to life so sort of during the middle ages he sort of became very popular as a sort of mythical do-gooder um and his fame really spread into sort of northern europe where he's still known as sinterklaas um and then when uh german and dutch and the british took went over to the states um, they took the stories of Sinterklaas and St. Nicholas turned into Sinterklaas turned into Santa Claus. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> so then the feast, uh, the, the, the gift giving, does it all come from St. Nicholas or were there other influences that kind of give us this, the Christmas that we've known for the past 150 years? Well, I mean, back in the um, winter solstice festivals, especially the Roman festival of Saturnalia, um, there was a gift giving element at the end of that festival. Um, so that was another midwinter gift giving time um and also in some norse customs um you had 
um, Odin, who turned into sort of an old man Christmas figure during the Middle Ages, that you sort of could placate with gifts. You actually gave him gifts to um, stop him bringing too much snow and coldness to you. Um, so all of those sort of combined with the stories of St. Nicholas and also then the the Christmas story with the Magi bringing the presents to Jesus, it all sort of came together as a midwinter Christmassy gift-giving thing. That explains the origins of Christmas being when we celebrate it, right? Because it doesn't necessarily line up with when we would imagine Jesus's birth was, but we, we have it about the same time, really all over at least the world that celebrates it. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jesus was probably born um, in sort of September, October. That's where the thinking lies now um, at the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. Um, but uh, the, I mean, back really back to 200 AD, um, there there's records of the ch- early church celebrating Jesus's birthday on the 25th of December. Wow! Um, which actually comes from the 25th of March, because back then that's when they thought that then that he died. Um, they thought that was his death date was the 25th of March. And um, certainly in early times like that, great leaders and prophets were meant to have been born or conceived on the same day that they died. So the birth of Jesus was originally celebrated on the 25th of March. And then that switched to the conception of Jesus, bumped nine months onto the 25th of March and you get... The 25th of December, which lines up nicely as a Christian festival that you can take over all the existing pagan midwinter ones. I just wanted to say that James is blowing my mind. (laughs) I I love it when somebody knows this much stuff and it's just like, I know nothing about it. It's awesome. (laughs) And then then it all makes sense. It does. It all makes sense. Because the, the, the conglomeration of... It's the Romans, right? The Romans take uh, Christianity into uh, particularly the British Isles, right? Where where there are uh, festivals that celebrate the uh, the equinox, right? Yeah, I mean, all over you, all over Northern Europe, um, sort of from Italy up to Finland, you had um, winter solstice festivals, um, and Italy. It was in the Romans. It was Saturnalia, which of course covered a lot of Europe by that time. Um, and you had Yule up in Scandinavia and Finland and at the east, sort of the western bits of Russia. So the the, the Yule log. Yes, absolutely. Yes, because um, the Yule log was uh, originally bought in uh, to keep your house nice and warm over winter. Um, but in the Middle Ages, when the twelve days of Christmas were big feasting times, and you weren't legally allowed to work in England at that time, you were meant to bring in a Yule log so big that it could burn for twelve <laughs> days solid. <laughs> that's huge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's where we get the Yule from. Um, and up in um, Finland and Sweden. Um, they had the the Yule goat was sort of the the good luck midwinter festival symbol over there, and in parts of Finland and Sweden, the name for Santa actually means old Christmas goat, <laughs> because um, the goat the the goat was the gift giver way back when um, fifteen hundred two thousand years ago, but then when Saint Nicholas took over the job. They just kept the old name. Um, and in the city, if you really want a good one, in the city of um, Galva in Sweden, I think that's how you say it, they erect a massive straw goat every year. 
and it's got its own Twitter account and webcam. <laughs> And it's it's traditionally that some drunk people normally set fire to it fairly on in the proceedings, but they're actually doing a really good job of protecting it this year. Last year, it lasted two days. (laughs) Um, It's been up about a fortnight so this week. Is there an old goat cam like that we can go online? Yeah, you can can watch it live now. What? Oh my! We need to put that link uh, (laughs) on the website. What's the what's the what's the website? Do you know? Uh, yeah, I can tell you. Let me go and find its Twitter. Um, because it, and the goat sends out hilarious tweets throughout the day as well. He should um, be friends with Roy like, Moore's hey, horse. come and look. I got my horns fixed last night because they weren't glowing enough <laughs> and things like that. I'll tell you, when I receive a, a, a gift I like this year, I'm going to say, you old Guilt you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to have to cancel your Christmas if, present, If you Bob. just, if you Google, it's G-A-V-L-E, which is the name of the town, G-A-V-L-E, Bokken. So it's the Gavler Bokken, which means the Gavler goat. That's great. When the goat was delivering Christmas presents, it was like there were limited things you could ask for. You could be like, uh, milk or cheese. <laughs> or just to have some old tin destroyed and eaten. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, uh, it's been a good threat. I, like I like to threaten my children. Uh, the past couple of weeks has been coal. Like that Santa would bring oh, yeah. coal. Where's that come yeah. from? Okay. Um, in uh, lots of Europe, um, St. Nicholas is accompanied by uh, an assistant or few. Um, and quite often they're known as the Black Peters. Um, and that's sort of got into some sort of political correctness right. because it is white people blacked up. Um, but the thought is that historically it actually goes back to, um, representing chimney sweeps and devils, not actually black people, but still it's quite sensitive now. And the black and the black Peters, um, keep a record and will either beat you with birch twigs or give you lumps of coal. Um, and if you're in parts of Germany and Austria, you might have seen that there was last Christmas, there was a horror film that came out called The Krampus. Yes, yes. Yeah. The Krampus accompanies St. Nicholas in um, bits of Germany, Austria, um, some of the Slovakian countries as well. Um, and he's basically half man, half goat, half giant monster who comes and kidnaps children and takes them off in a sack. Well, that's that's a uh, that's Black Pete in Belgium as well, right? Isn't because I, I do a game show called Perfect Timing, and the last one we did, we did categories on Santa around the world, and the one that mm. I had read was that in Belgium, that if you're bad, apparently they think that Santa Claus lives in Spain, and if you're bad, yes. he puts you in a, like they'll put you in a sack and take you back. Yeah, to Spain. the Black Peters will put you in a sack and haul you off to Madrid for a year. <laughs> yeah, which you know might not be so bad. <laughs> And that, and they think that St. Nicholas lives in Spain because um, the Netherlands used to be a Spanish colony. Oh, really? That's why? And, and there's still a line in the uh, national anthem of the, um, the Netherlands, which says, Hail to the King of Spain. I mean, yeah. So that's a good thing it's that crazy. he lives in Spain. It's not like, like they're, they're like, yeah, it's basically like the North Pole to us. Yeah. <laughs> so what about the tree? Okay, now the tree, yes. Um, it... <sighs> Again, back to Saturnalia, um, people used to decorate uh, their houses with pine branches during Saturnalia, um, and people used to bring in greenery all through uh, Northern Europe during the midwinter time. Um, one, to sort of spruce the place up, ha ha ha, and make it look pretty, <laughs> but it's also been shown that some things like fir trees have actually got, um, they give off chemicals that are anti-insecticides, uh, so it actually stops the fleas and the mites 
getting you too much over winter when it's all, you know, lots of people in a house for a long time. I have noticed that I've been bit by far fewer fleas and mites since we brought a Christmas tree in. So that's, that's, well, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) Proof. (laughs) So, um, the tree itself dates back to 1400, 1500 as a thing. Um, there used to be, um, medieval plays, um, that told the story from the garden of Eden all the way through to Jesus is, um, crucifixion and resurrection and they either happened at easter or christmas and part of the garden of eden you'd have a thing called a paradise tree it was basically like a giant triangle of wood with fruit hammered onto it um and then after the reformation uh, the story goes that martin luther was wandering around through the forest one day and thought oh this is all pretty looking up at the stars through the trees and they go twinkle twinkle why don't i cut a tree down and put Uh, candles on it to represent the stars of heaven so that's one theory of a christmas tree um the first public christmas tree there's a a very large argument between estonia and latvia as to who had the first public christmas tree Um, because they both got records from sort of the late 1400s early 1500s of um, erecting a tree um, with things on it in the town square basically it was like a early sort of version of the rotary uh, organization that sort of because back then what's germany latvia and estonia were all part of the same empire so these clubs erected trees in their outside their sort of um, houses in the town square um and then it became more popular in germany um to bring a tree into the house in the late middle ages um but it didn't really kick off especially in the UK and USA, until there was a picture of um, Prince Albert, um, Queen Victoria's husband. Um, a, a sort of a, an illustration was printed, I think it was 1847, um, in the UK. Um, and lots of people thought, oh, we're going to copy the royals, let's get a Christmas tree sort of thing. And then it was published a couple of years later in the States. But um, to make him more American... <laughs> This is an early version of photoshopping. They took <laughs> Prince Victoria's um, crown off and they airbrushed Alfred um, um, Albert's moustache out of the picture <laughs> <laughs> to make it more commercial in America. Um, so that's where the trees come from. That's that's nuts. You know, we had a question for you from one of our listeners. That's right. Uh, we, we went out and we asked for some questions from our Patreon listeners. And we got uh, two good ones from Tim and Caitlin Wells, actually, Tim. Tim is one of my oldest friends, uh, and I'm happy to answer him because he asked a question that my wife asked just the night before, which is <laughs> this. Why is it, do you know, that Americans say Merry Christmas and, and, and British people say Happy Christmas? Happy Christmas. Yeah, I'm, I'm a happy Christmas. <laughs> um, that is a very good question. And the, there is a lot of merrying over here as well. Um, and in fact... Merrying in the UK is older than happying. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, the first Merry Christmas was recorded in 1834 um, when uh, John Fisher, an English Catholic bishop, um, wrote a Christmas letter to Com- Thomas Cromwell and said, And this our Lord God send you a Merry Christmas and a comfortable to your heart's desire. Um, and there's also the old uh, God rest ye merry gentlemen carol, which dates back to the 16th century England. Um, so, yeah, it's, 
I think it became more of a happy thing than a merry thing, really the late Victorian times. Although there's lots of Merry Christmases, there's 21 Merry Christmases in A Christmas Carol. Aha. And the first Christmas card had a Merry Christmas on it in 1843, and that came from the UK as well. So I really don't know why. I think it's the late Victorian times when being merry became more associated with possibly having one too many brandies. <laughs> that's, that's great. I mean, it's like, I think as Americans, we think that British tradition is older. So we would, I mean, I think our instinct would say, Merry Christmas is something that we did to change it. You know, after the revolution, we change a lot of words in the way we say things. But mm. you're saying that, that actually we're doing the older thing and that Happy Christmas is an evolution in the UK. I think so, yeah. <laughs> there you go. The, the second question we had from our Patreon listeners, from Caitlin Wells, was, uh, is, is the custom in, in uh, England, it's, is there a custom to go outside and take a walk outside no matter what the weather is? And if so, what, what are the origins of that? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people that I know after Christmas dinner, um, because, I mean, I don't know when you have your main Christmas meal. It's, it's very traditional in in the UK to have it on Christmas Day itself, either sort of 1 p.m. or 3 p.m. Um, most of the rest of Europe has it on Christmas Eve night. And you spend Christmas Day recovering from Christmas Eve. <laughs> um, but I think over here, it's sort of, oh, let's go and let's go and have a bracing walk after our Christmas dinner to make room for a few mince pies. You know, that's the sort of attitude. I mean, I know of some people that do it, but I'm not one of them. Aha. So you're breaking <laughs> with tradition, huh? What about Christmas music? I mean, the songs, right? When, when did they start to come around? I mean, I believe Silent Night is pretty old. You mentioned God Rest You Married Gentlemen. When did these songs kind of uh, uh, okay, begin I mean, to be Yeah, conceived? I mean, s some of them come from the 16th century, the 17th century. Most of the ones we have as we know them today really date from the 1840s, 1850s. Um, when some Victorian gentlemen collected lots of folk tunes and folk songs and sort of reinvented the Christmas carol as a thing. So from everything you've told us, it seems like the 1830s, 1840s was this time of uh, Christmas consolidation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kind of like the, the Christmas that we know today, that's where the origins seem to lie. Yes, 1843 is the really big year because in 1843, A Christmas Carol by uh, Charles Dickens came out. The first Christmas card was sent and Christmas crackers were invented. But you in the States don't know of Christmas crackers very much. <laughs> we do not. No, no. Tell us, please. Christmas crackers are a wonderful thing that Americans are so missing out on. They are a thing that you have. Everybody has one on the Christmas table next to your plate and either before the meal or generally um, between the main course and dessert. Um, you pull your Christmas cracker and a Christmas cracker is a thing about a foot long that's in three sections with a, a sort of a solid bit in the middle that is traditionally made from the inside of a, a TP roll um, and then with two flappy bits on the end and inside the middle you pull it and it goes bang hence the name crack uh, crackers and inside it is a paper crown that you have to wear on your head while you're eating pudding and look stupid um, a generally grotty plastic toy um, 
and a terrible joke. <laughs> wait, so you, can we can we order Christmas crackers online? online? You can, yeah, yeah. So, so wait, yeah. So there's a joke on the inside of it you have to tell. A bit of pa- a bit of paper falls out. Yeah, and and they they they. I mean, these started in it's Victorian times. It was a guy called Tom Smith, and his family are still like the the brand of the most famous crackers is Tom Smith's crackers. Um, he was a sweet seller in England, and went over to France and saw how they were marketing their sweets, wrapping them up in little things with two little dangly ends and thought, hey, I can do that and sell more sweets more expensively. So he did that. And then over the years, more and more stuff got put in them. And then the legend goes, he was sitting next to the fire one night and the log fire went crackle as it does. And he thought, oh, I wonder if I can make it. So it's, I put a small explosive in my sweets. So it's more exciting when people open them. Oh, of course. (laughs) Yeah, as you would. Um, And back then the the jokes were sort of much more sort of um, pious, Victorian homilies about being good to your neighbour and such like. Um, but by the 20s and the 30s over here, they just degenerated into appalling joke. Can you think of one? Can you think of one? Oh, yeah, I've got a, <laughs> yeah, on my on my site. I have a massive page of the worst Christmas jokes I could find. You know, Ben is a stand up comedian speaking oh, right, okay. of the yeah. worst jokes you could well, find. This, hear this one was actually sent in by a, a school child to me the other day. And I absolutely laughed out loud when I read it, which is why was the snowman rubbaging in a bag? Oh, no. Why? why? He was picking his nose. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> Next. Um, Next joke. Where do elves go to dance? I don't know. I don't know. Where Christmas do elves balls. go to dance? Christmas balls? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Why, how, how long do reindeer's legs have to be? I don't know. Long enough so they can touch the ground. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> one more. One more. We got time for one more. Um. How does good King Wenceslas like his pizzas? Oh, uh, I don't know. Deep pan, crisp pan, even. What? Very nice. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. I can't. I can't wait for the oh, next. Oh, James, this is great. This is my favorite interview ever. I think, <laughs> I think it is. Can you tell us uh, from around the world? You know, there are all these different traditions. Like, what's what is the one to you that seems the most? Uh, you know just insane okay well japan is a good one um you go to japan your main christmas meal kfc right um because there's sort of no history of christianity over in japan so christmas has only been a thing sort of since the 60s 70s um when the american gis were there following world war ii um and uh, the GIs wanted some turkey or some chicken over Christmas and they couldn't find anything, especially not fried chicken. Um, so they uh, basically begged KFC to go and open some stores in Japan. And never wanting to miss a marketing opportunity, um, in 1974, KFC went into a massive uh, campaign in Japan with the slogan Kentucky for Christmas, which of course stands for KFC. Ah. So it seemed much more like Valentine's Day over in Japan. You go for a romantic walk with your family and friends looking at all the pretty Christmas lights and then you queue around the block to pick up your pre-ordered bucket of chicken. What is, so is Colonel Sanders their Santa Claus? Oh yeah. What? They, well, they have old Christmas man, <laughs> but... Um, which is what they call their version of Santa. But you you will see Colonel Sanders with a Santa hat on lots of places. I I just imagine there was a a Christmas branding committee in in Japan in the 70s, and they're like, well, what are we going to call (laughs) them? 
Ah, old Christmas man. Yeah. What, ah, do you, what do you brilliant? What do you think, and, robot? And Japan, old Japanese Christmas, Christmas cake. Um, if you've got a smartphone, you've got some Japanese Christmas cake in your pocket because the short cake emoji, which is the bit that looks like a sponge cake with a big bit of cream in the middle and a strawberry on the top, that's Japanese Christmas cake. Wow. Um, the other good country is got to be Catalonia in Spain. Um, you know, you have your nativity scenes, you have Mary, Joseph, Jesus, the shepherds, the wise men. Catalonia, they have a very special figure known as the Poopa. The Poopa. Yeah. It's a peasant. Is it the grand, with, the grand Poopa? Well, no, it's, it's a picture, it's a little figure of a peasant with his trousers around his ankles um, doing something. What? What? Why? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and they bring out new ones every year with like politicians' faces on it. Oh. So they're like mm. figures of fun. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. And the, the see. other wonderful things that Catalan use, and they, have, they like poop over there because they also have the pooping log, which is like the Catalonian kids version of an of a, a, um, advent calendar. You have a little hollowed out log, which stands on two little um, legs at the front with some googly eyes and a smiley face and a red hat on. And it has a blanket placed over its bottom. And then every day the parents feed it some sweets and fruits and nuts and stuff. And then on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, the kids dance around the pooping log, um, singing it a special song, and then smack it with some sticks, and it poops out all of the goodies that have been um, growing in its bottom during Advent. And then, but when you find the garlic, um, that's all the sweets done. Wow! Wow! <laughs> The look on Bob's face right now is golden. It's golden. Well, let, let's uh, let's take this into the 20th century. Mer- Americanized Christmas Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. James, what were the first Christmas movies, and what are some of your favorites? Okay, the first, probably the first Christmas. It's not really a movie, but when I was growing up over here in 1983, there was a half-hour uh, cartoon. Um, I don't know if you've seen it on. Um, public tv or over there or anything called the snowman which is a little story of a snowman that comes to life one night and the boy that built it go off and fly and have adventures together and that was sort of religiously shown in my school um on the day before we broke up for the christmas holidays so that's sort of an early uh one for me um my favorite christmas film by a country my all the muppet christmas carol oh that one's great, great. Because yeah, it is great. the most accurate version ever made. Now, James, have you ever seen the, or either of you guys seen the Star Wars holiday special from 1977? Oh, yeah. That, that's a, that's um, something different, I think we'll call that. It is terrible. I, I implore <laughs> everyone listening to, under no circumstances, watch that video. It's on YouTube. Do not go watch that video. Uh, just to summarize, the first 11 minutes of that video is just a Chewbacca's family of Wookiees roaring at each other. <laughs> Uh, it stars yeah. uh, it stars uh, B. Arthur. Uh, Princess Leia sings the Christ- Christmas theme song at the end with words they just made up. Uh, Han Solo is clearly phoning it in, and I believe George <laughs> Lucas was quoted as saying something like, uh, "I wish if I had the time, uh, I would go and destroy every single copy of that." And another quote saying, "You know, some things you just do in life you have to live with." That's how bad it is. <laughs> Yeah. So don't go watch it. That's what I'm saying. James, how did you get into all this? Right. Okay. Well, I've I'm always been a bit of a big kid and I love Christmas. Um, 
I started the site back in 2000 um, for a local elementary school to me. Some of the teachers knew I was starting to do web stuff and came to me and said, James, why can't we find a child safe and friendly site that we can leave the kids on to learn about Christmas customs that isn't trying to sell them something? Right. Because back then it was the likes of Disney and Nickelodeon sort of had all of the big kids sites and obviously they were trying to flog their stuff. Um, so I made, I thought, hey, that'll be fun to make. So I made a little site for one school and it got a few hundred hits the first year and over the 17 years i've run it it's just grown and grown and grown into the wonderful thing that it is today that's good so tell us about it where can where can everyone go to get your site to find out more about what okay. you do you can go to www.whychristmas.com which is whychristmas.com and you can find out pretty much everything about christmas it's amazing how you start off doing something for small you know for, for local audiences and at that time in 2000 it was like who knew how to make a website <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's still my day job today. Brilliant. We're so glad that you took some time to join us to help celebrate the holiday. Uh, James, we wish you a happy and Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's right. Well, and a happy and Merry Christmas to you too very much. And thank you very much for having me. It's been brilliant. Likewise, sir. Oh, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Road to Now. Hey, did you know you can now rate podcasts on Spotify? If you're listening to us on Spotify, it's as easy as going to our page, which you're already at, just clicking five stars. Maybe you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Well, guess what? You can do the same thing there. And if you'd add a few kind words and a review, that'd be amazing. But wherever you get this episode, if you enjoyed it, why not share a link with a friend in a text message or share a link with the world on social media? All those things are how we grow. They get the word out there. If you've already done any of those things, or are doing any of those things right now, thank you. Now we'd like to say a special thanks to our growing list of supporters on Patreon. We're stronger than ever with a special shout out to our Washingtonians. Tanya Marsh, Mary Hawking, Paul Ayler, Tim and Caitlin Wells, Fig White, Peggy Donica, Matt Williams, Team Martin, Ann Williams and Frank Edwards, Daniel Hanson, Nate Farrer, Jennifer and Magnolia, and Regina Devine, you guys are incredible. If you'd like to support our work and maybe get on that list, make it so long that I can't do it in one breath, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the road to now. We've got extra episodes, bonus materials, and you can even join us for upcoming trivia nights or live recordings. You can do all that and help us keep this show going at patreon.com slash the road to now. To all our patrons, we say thanks. If you're enjoying this podcast and have noticed there are 230-something before this, hey, you want a quick way to sort through them? Find out more about our show? Check out our website, theroadtonow.com. You can search our catalog very easily there. Find links to content, and it's awesome. It's really easy to use and really easy to manage. You want to know why it's so good? Because it was designed by Seven Ages Design. Shout out to those guys who not only set up a great account, but keep it going and help me solve all these problems that I have. If you need support and you need a good website, Seven Ages Design. The Road to Now is hosted and produced by Bob Crawford and me, Ben Sawyer. Our associate producer is Gary Fletcher. Our theme music today, like almost always, is by the talented Paul DeFiglia. For Bob Crawford, this is Ben Sawyer. Take care and thanks for listening.